This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. 38 years ago, the cities of Hamtramck and Detroit helped demolish a neighborhood to make way for the construction of the massive General Motors manufacturing plant that is today known as Town. On Monday, General Motors said it will likely close that auto plant as part of massive cutbacks nationwide. There's a rich and painful history in this community that surrounds Pole Town, its creation, the destruction of the neighborhood that made it possible, the intense political and racial dynamics that swirled around the very discussion of this idea. And for some in this area, Monday's announcement is a difficult flashback to all of that, a reliving of the deep questions about the interface of development and cities and neighborhoods and citizens that make Pole Town one of the most controversial issues ever here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, staying with us to continue talking about Town is Bill McGraw, who is a local historian and journalist, former reporter with the Detroit Free Press. Uh, Bill, let's talk a little bit first about Town. what Town was before Coleman Young said, I would like to have General Motors build a plant here. We're talking about the area north of I-94, roughly like around Shane Street, East Grand Boulevard. And uh, that area was a very uh, interesting neighborhood. Um, For Detroit at the time, it was very diverse. It was about half black and half white. The whites were uh, mainly Polish. Uh, They were first and second generation uh, folks. And they lived in uh, the neighborhood was mainly um, uh, single homes and uh, flats. But there also was a significant population of uh, Arabs, um, Yemenis. There were people from the old Yugoslavia and Albanians. So there was really a, a very um, unusual neighborhood for Detroit. It, it wasn't in great shape. I think it's fair to say it was a declining neighborhood in, in many ways. There was some abandonment. Uh, the people there were not wealthy. It was a working class neighborhood. And um, it was uh, connected uh, previously to the area south of I-94 along Shane Street. But of course, in the 50s, I-94 cut it in half. And and when Coleman Young said, I want to help GM build a plant there, I mean, I, I was a child at the time, but I can remember very vividly the the reaction of people in that neighborhood and people around the city to this idea of raising people's homes and businesses in order to let GM do this. Well, and also... Well, the the scale is part of what happened there. The fact that it was 4,200 people and 1,300 homes, uh, 16 churches, and then a a really big hospital, Mm St. Joseph Mercy, Mm -hmm. which was on the boulevard. Uh, The idea, and also the, the, the law that they were working with had changed. They changed the law in 1980 about taking people's homes. And it used to be when the government came and had a legitimate reason to take your front lawn to expand the highway or build a bridge, you would hassle out the money and before they took your land. But they changed the law in Michigan then, so people in Town got their land taken, and business owners, their land was taken, and then they hassled out the money later. And that was sort of not very well understood. I think it's fair to say, too, that most, uh, most but not certainly not all of the protests were um, the Poles mm-hmm. and some of the African Americans who had lived in the neighborhood, some of the people wanted to get out. I mean, yeah. that's that's fair too. But the um, 
the intensity of the protest was something I've never seen since in Detroit. And yeah. it went on for a long time. It became a national protest. Ralph Nader moved in. And, you know, I don't know, I don't recall if this was well known in the early 80s, but, you know, GM was changing. Uh, GM had just closed two plants in southwest Detroit. Dodge, Maine, which is on the northern edge of the neighborhood we're talking about, had just uh, closed. Now, there was only 3,000 people working at Dodge, Maine, where there had been 40,000, you know, 30 years earlier. Sure. GM was desperate to get this plant, but they went out and looked for a greenfield site all over the Midwest, and they couldn't find it. And because Young had raised a stink about closing those two plants on the southwest side, GM's CEO, Thomas Murphy, went to him and said, okay, here's what we need. Give us some sites. And the city gave him nine sites, including Rouge Park <laughs> and Riverside Park, which is now being improved at mm -hmm. the foot of the uh, West Grand Boulevard. Uh, they chose that site uh, where they built the plant because it's close to the freeway and there's railroad lines. But it was just such a, it seemed like such a brutal thing to so many people. And, you know, the city was going to use its power of eminent domain to take this land and then give it to a private company, which was legal then, but of course it's not legal anymore. The yes. law changed. The Supreme the Court stopped that uh, in, the, in the 2000s and said, you can't just choose one <laughs> Uh, business or citizen over another that if you need to, to take someone's land, it's got to be for government purpose. Right. You know, we should also mention the context of Detroit then. Detroit was in, in the early 80s, a financial crisis second only to the one that put him in bankruptcy. Yes. Uh, it was an election year, 81, and uh, the unemployment in Detroit at that time was like 18% citywide, but at least 30% in the black community. So there was really a financial crisis going on. These plants were closing. That's the mindset that Young and his uh, his aides were in. Yeah. I mean, and that's an important point. I mean, I think uh, then and now uh, the mayor was somewhat demonized by people uh, – for, for having done demonized. this, very much so, as somebody who just didn't care about this neighborhood, didn't care about the people who live there. But as you point out, this was a mayor trying to find a way to, to, to better times for the entire city, which was really on its knees. Exactly. And he thought that this was an opening to bring industry back to Detroit. You know, we didn't know then what we know now about the, the decline of manufacturing in America and especially in the Rust Belt. So they really thought that this was a way, and it actually did lead to the Chrysler Jefferson plant a few years later. But yeah, Young was really desperate. And, you know, we got to remember too, it, it became somewhat of a racial issue too. It did. Um, people accused Young of going after this neighborhood with a big white population to get back for what the city had done to Black Bottom in the 50s, which of course moved more than twice as many people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Bill McGraw, local historian and journalist, former reporter with the Detroit Free Press. We're talking about the announcement that the Pole Town plant uh, may close in the next year as part of massive cutbacks from GM Nationwide. We're talking about the history of that plant, uh, the controversy that surrounded the very idea of that plant, which required Detroit and Hamtramck to raise a neighborhood in order for it to be built. Do you want to join the conversation? Give us a call. What are your memories of Pole Town? What are your memories of the controversy around Pole Town? Are you somebody who works at the plant now and is worried about your future? 313-577-1019 uh, is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Yeah, good morning to both of you. Mm -hmm. You know, let me preface my statement by saying this. I don't want to see anybody lose a job. And and my statement incorporates Pole Town there, and I remember that uh, that dust up too. But, you know, I'm looking at it this way. Mary Barra, who is the CEO of GM, she's been driving GM for for a while now, and she's looked in that rearview mirror, and she's seen what has happened in the past that caused GM to go into bankruptcy. And, you know, she's trying to stay out ahead of this thing, to, you know, to, to keep it from, from history repeating itself. Hmm. And, you know, in this whole situation, you're going to have some collateral damage, you know, meaning Lordstown, GM plant, and the others that are talking about closing. But, you know what, in the big, in the big picture, I mean, like I said, you got collateral damage. She's trying to save you're going to lose a little she's bit. She's arguing like, she's trying to save the company. Yeah, I, I get that, Tom. But I, I think one of the frustrations that people have is that the collateral damage you're talking about always seems to visit on ordinary citizens. I mean, when they wanted to build Pole Town, the argument was that the people who lived in that neighborhood had to sacrifice themselves in order for that business to, to, to be able to do what it wanted to do. Now... Uh, the workers at that plant are being told they have to sacrifice um, in order for for GM to survive. Um, you know, Bill. I, one of the things that occurs to me is is the relationship between GM and the city, uh, and how that may even be different and look different today than it did in 1981. The the idea of of uh, what it may feel about uh, its attachment to the city of Detroit. I think. See, it seems a lot different than it used to be. Yeah, um, it, it seems like it's uh, a little more remote, perhaps, than it used to be. Yeah. The, uh, in fact, I would say um, the auto industry, the auto companies in Detroit, don't really have the place in uh, Detroit society that they had uh, ten. Certainly not 20, then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thirty and forty years ago. Yeah, um, um, and you know, the idea of abandoning a plant of that size in Detroit today, just as Ford, for instance, is saying, we're going to reinvest in the city. If you think about the other things that are going on in the city with other corporations saying, we're coming back to Detroit, we're not withdrawing. I really wonder whether GM will feel much pressure in that regard. Well, there were, remember there were stories about GM thinking of uh, moving lock, stock, and barrel to the tech center yes. a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and let me another thing I think that uh, embitters people about Pole Town is the city screwed up the whole thing too. It's one thing to take all the 465 acres of people's homes and everything, but they said that it was going to cost 62 million dollars to acquire the land mm-hmm. and it ended up costing 230 million in 1981 dollars, which are much more today. The city the city lawyers screwed up. It's a complicated thing to you've got to uh, you know, pay people for all the barrel, all the companies, all the, you know, fixtures and things they have. And uh, the city really screwed up in that. Plus, they gave GM a 12-year tax break, too. Right, right. They always give tax breaks for those kinds of developments. Uh, let's quickly get to Brett and Ypsilanti. Brett, I've got about 30 seconds left, but I wanted to get you in here. Yeah, I just had a question in terms of looking at this moving forward with service-based uh industries, especially like Amazon with HQQ, um, where they wouldn't 
ask for so much physical space, but they do, in fact, change the nature of neighborhoods. Mm. They do cause displacement. They bring in new people, move out old people. Um, and what that looks like in terms of we relied on a company like GM, they're moving out. Um, and we were so willing to give tax breaks to Amazon. Um, do we think that the service-based economies will, will be any different in terms of like really permanent and impact? Okay. Yeah, Brett, I don't think I know the answer to that, but I think that's a really interesting question as the city, you know, tries to, to attract more businesses and people. Dan uh, Gilbert's getting there. some nice tax breaks. He's getting great tax breaks for that uh, skyscraper he is building. Okay, Bill McGraw, local historian and journalist, former reporter with the Free Press. Thanks for being here on Detroit. Thank today. you very much. Yeah, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. <laughs>